An argument could be made that Joshua is this first ever finely detailed national leader whose entire life experience has simply been making bricks out of straw to, to take two million people on a conquest. Uh, extreme amounts of leadership, a spy, a statesman, a warrior, a leader, Joshua. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to week number two in a series. Joshua, if you got your Bibles or if you're using your phone today, grab that, pull it out. We're going to dive into this series. Incredible figure, Joshua, because he really holds so much of the Old Testament. If you look at all the books that Moses wrote, the Pentateuch, the Torah, these first few books of the Bible, Joshua's got one foot firmly planted in the origin story of who God's people are, is God starts to say, I'm going to take back. I'm going to take back something that was lost. Maybe you've heard of the book, Paradise Lost. This idea that God would make man and man would live with God, and that's taken. It's taken from Satan. And so God begins this relentless pursuit where he says, I want to reestablish connection appropriately, justly with people. He's made humanity. He loves the interaction. He loves the relationship. He says, I'm going to come back for it, but he knows that that road, it's going to be a different road than when he just made Adam and enjoyed Adam. Instead, he said, the relationship is so special that I I, I want to to pay for that relationship and, and get every part of it back that was lost. And even though there are people of free will, I'm going to I'm going to pursue them and present myself in such a way that they understand my character and that they understand my sacrifice and love for them. And then mankind on an individual basis will have an opportunity to say, I want to re-enter a relationship, a loving, awesome relationship with the Father. And all of this, it really kind of starts to take place in the book of Genesis when Israel as a nation is born. And this is where the figure Joshua has his his foot firmly planted. He shows up to Abraham and says, I will make you a people. And all of the characters, Joseph, which gets God's people to the land of Egypt. And then Joshua growing up as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult. And then as an adult, not until he's 40 years old, is he taken out of the land of Egypt. And he's going to be one that After 40 years of wandering the desert, he gets to realize the dream of God's people having their own home, their own place, their own nation, to worship him and seek him and dwell with him. And for God to get one step closer, he he defines himself as a God that is Emmanuel, a God that is with us. And finally, there was a land and a place. And Joshua, through his life of obedience and listening to the Lord, he, he will get to orchestrate all that. God will use him. And so last week, if you weren't a part of it, we, we looked at Joshua the spy. So in the book of Genesis, Israel's born. In the book of Exodus, Israel is chosen. Numbers, if you've read the book of Numbers, this is a great time of year, if you've not done so, to maybe look for a Bible reading plan, a chronological maybe, or one that will just walk you through the whole Bible in a year. You'll get into something like, oh, the book of Numbers. I hate math. I'm skipping that one. 
No, 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 no. There's actually story and narrative and incredible deep meaning in the book of Numbers. And we see that, that God proves Israel. And then Leviticus, Leviticus, it's like that's, I would never want to go there. It's one of the most incredible books of the Old Testament because we see this premise set up for blood. That God is through the act of blood being shed is a price that's paid. And Israel is brought close by a blood covenant in the book of Leviticus. The book of Deuteronomy. It's a book of instruction. Israel's instructed in the book of Deuteronomy. There's great insight for you and for your life, for you at work, for you with your spouse, for you with your children. In the book of Joshua, Israel faces conflict and conquest. And so we come to this week. This week is Warrior Week. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 5. But there is a premise in this idea of Joshua's book. If the whole book is an action sequence of conflict and conquest, conflict and conquest, then the, the overarching idea of the book is possession, that God's people would take possession of something. And one of the, the key things that we said last week was your ownership of all that God has given you. That is unconditional. God's, God told Abraham long before jo Joshua was ever born, God told his forefather, Abraham, this is yours. It's totally yours. And Abraham, not wanting to mock God in an awkward way, says, I'm, I'm 100 years old and I have no kids, so I don't know how you're going to make this happen. And God ushers Abraham out and says, look at the stars in the sky. Can you number them? Like, what a silly question. There's no light pollution then, Right? There's no, I mean, there's a lot of stars. And Abraham's honest answer is like, I, I, yeah, I, that's a lot. That's a lot. This, this thing was owned by Joshua, by the people of Israel. Their ownership is unquestionable, undeniable. It is unconditional. But our possession of things that God has given us ownership of, that is conditional. And Joshua's possession of the land was conditional. He had to go and spy. That was last week. This week, there's war that needs to happen. Now, there, there's a lot in a, a very short series as we start the year on Joshua. I can maybe tell you the story of Rahab and how Rahab said, we've heard of your God and what your God has done. And we're afraid of your God. And because of that, uh, Rahab was the only family that was spared in the battle of Jericho. And when we get to the New Testament, Rahab is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Incredible story. It's, it's not that sermon today. I could tell you about the crossing of the Jordan River. I'm going to be at the Jordan River literally in a few days, taking a group uh, of people to Israel to do, just look at some things that are there. And we're going to be at the Jordan River, and I know what it looks like this time of year. This is not flood stage. If you get a good running start, you feel like you could clear it. You could probably, you get a little bit wet. But you, flood stage, it's a really big deal. And God moved his people, maybe two million Israelites, across the Jordan River at flood stage. All of the people who inhabited the promised land felt like, you're not going to get us, you're not going to get us, we'll worry about you next season. And God said, I'm going to stop the rivers of the Jordan. They walked across on dry ground. That is not the message today. Instead, we go to Joshua chapter 5 and we see the moments that happen as Joshua prepares for battle. Verse 13 says this, When Joshua was near Jericho, 
he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, there was this encounter, there was this incident, and I want to very clearly say, I believe that this text and other texts in the Bible tell us that Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. This is a, a highly held idea in the Old Testament that when Joshua is out on a, maybe it's a morning or an evening, and it is moments before the battle, that Jesus encounters Joshua, and Joshua encounters Jesus Christ. Long before Jesus took a breath as a baby and lived a perfect life and grew up thousands of years after this moment, he grows up in Nazareth, runs around that small little town, and then goes to the galley in his 30s, starts a ministry, and creates some chaos and never sins, but is killed on a cross long before that ever happens. In the Old Testament, we see Jesus showing up, and he's got the same message that he has in the, the New Testament. He's got the same message, which is the message he has for you today, that I'm pursuing you. I want relationship with you. But how does a, how does a God that's described as a consuming fire show himself to us? How does a God that is described as a God that we cannot look at his face or we would die because of the radiant glory, how do we get close enough? How does that God who loves us come to us in such a way that he says, I want to show you a part of me, but only the part of me that you can stand in your current form to understand, and that would be his goodness, his kindness. So many of us, we sing songs that say something like, I want to see your face. Or show us your glory. God's answer, we just sang it. God's continuous answer is always this. I can't because if I showed you all my glory, you would die. Do you really want that? You know, what, what I'm constantly reminding myself of when I say, show us your glory. I, I, I mean what he said to Moses. He tells Moses, I'm going I'm to show you who I am. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock, Exodus 33. And I'm going to pass by you and I will put my hand over you while you're in the rock. And my front will pass you. Then as I get by you, I will lift my hand, I will lift my hand off and you can see my back. And then that's all that you can handle. Well, how does Moses also talk face to face with God? Exodus 33. Well, it, we, we, we think of seeing God's face and being in the presence of God and seeing his glory the way we think of our human anatomy and the way that we interact with one another. It's actually quite different. See, the hand of God is God's protection in Moses' life. As God is showing himself to you, I'm going to tell you what God is doing in your life right now. God is protecting you as he shows himself to you. The way that he shows himself to you is protecting you. are like, well, you don't understand. I've got nothing but hardship. Most times, the hardship that we're currently enduring is actually God's protection in our lives as he tries to show another part of himself to us. 
His hand was his protection over Moses. And we cannot see all of who God is. His radiant glory and his fullness is his face. You, you do not talk to people and say, wait a minute, I want to talk to you. And then turn around. You, you face them. They can see all of your expression. God says, you cannot handle that. But I, I so desperately want to get close to you. I'll let you see that which you can handle. When we sing, God, show us your glory. God, show us your face. What we're really saying biblically is, God, show us your character. And his character is Love, joy, and peace, and kindness, and gentleness, self-control. And he says, this is, this is what you can handle of me, and this is what truly my character is. And you're used to telling people, man, that, that person, uh, they really showed their face. Have you ever, ever said that to someone before? Man, they really showed their face in that meeting. Like, well, they show their face in all the meetings they come to. Like, that's, that's not what God is saying. And you know that that's not what that colloquialism means for us. When we say, man, you showed your face, you showed your character. And God wants to show you his character. It's who he is. In this moment, Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. This is what we call a theophany. This is when Jesus, I believe in heaven, I'm going to put it in very simple terms. He says, God, I, I don't know if I can wait until everything's perfect or ready. The time is full. Can I just go now? I want to be a part of it. And God's like, well, okay, you can. And Jesus shows up. He shows up to wrestle Jacob. He shows up in the fire furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abendo. And he's like, guys, it's not hot in here. Right? It's okay. He shows up. Is Melchizedek, when Abraham comes to, to tithe, to give 10% of all of that which, uh, all, all of the things that God had made, put him in charge of, and the king of Salem, Jerusalem, Jesus shows up to, to be a face-to-face -face God. But in this moment right here, this theophany, we see the commander of the army of the Lord. And why does Joshua, as a warrior, not engage? I mean, it's, it's the eve of a battle. Right? They're getting ready to go to battle. And there's some stranger out walking around with a sword out. That looks like a spy in the camp, right? Joshua's like, who are you? Are you for us or are you for your, our enemies? See, Joshua does not engage. And, you know, one of the things about Joshua is God never accuses Joshua. And God accused Jacob. God accuses Moses of sin. God never accuses Joshua. And in this scenario, when Joshua just says, what's going on here? Joshua starts to see that what he's dealing with is a commander of a different army. Why is this Jesus? See, Joshua worships Jesus in verse 14. One of the reasons we know that this is Jesus is Joshua's immediate response is, uh, this isn't another army that's come from another part of the country and we're going to sit down at the table and uh, we're going to do battle together. No, this is, a, a, this is a commander of an army from a whole nother level and Joshua worships him. The second reason we know it's Jesus is every single time holiness is shown in the Bible, it's linked with divinity. And when angels come, many angels say, do not fear or do not worship at times. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to be worshiped. I'm just here to be a messenger. That's what that word angel means. The angel in this scenario lets it happen. Holiness and divinity are seen here in this moment. Thirdly, he identifies himself very specifically as the commander of the Lord's army. And in chapter 6, gives very specific details about how they're going to go about this battle. I always laugh 
when I look at this and just think about all the other things I would have wanted written into this. Simply goes on in chapter 6 to say, now Jericho was shut up. No one went in and no one came out. Jesus does actually give some specific instructions in verse 2 of chapter 6 about how they're going to go into the city and what's going to happen here. But I always ask the question, like, why wasn't more discussed? Why wasn't more discussed when, when he says, you're the commander of the Lord's army? Joshua would be like, okay, great. I, I, I want to talk about how we're going to get these guys, right? That's, that's not fully discussed here. And one of the reasons why is what I told you at the very beginning about what the book of Deuteronomy is. The book of Deuteronomy is a list of instructions to the children of Israel about how it's supposed to conduct a culture. It's literally called the Deuteronomy program. It's a program of life, and it's read all the time. I want to take you to Joshua chapter 8 after the conquest of some major cities and key in on this very specific thing that happens. Afterward, Joshua read all of the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. It was instructed in Deuteronomy that every seven years, everyone in the entire nation was to gather to listen to the whole book of the law being read. Kids, maybe kids who didn't understand it. Strangers that were not Jews that just happened to be visiting town or doing business in town or found themselves there. God says if there's strangers in town, everyone in the entire nation, you gather one, one time every seven years and you read the entire law. Moses read the whole law. Josiah read the whole law. Ezra read all of the law. It was normal for God's people to get together and say, this is what's expected in the law. And because of that, there was this understanding of the weight of the law and how hard it was to carry the law. Jesus didn't have to stop right then and say, here's everything you need to know. It was already written for them. Jesus simply shows up in this moment and says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. There's another clue in Revelation chapter 19, the very end of the New Testament, that keys us in on the commander of the Lord's army being Jesus in this instance. I say time and time again that the Old Testament, what the Old Testament really is, is the New Testament concealed. So when we have the answer keys of the New Testament, we can go back and read the Old Testament and we can start to understand fully what God wants for us in our lives. And there's something in here that I think is going to very much encourage you. Revelation chapter 19, John sees a vision of the commander of the Lord's army. It starts in verse 11. Here's what it says. I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. He, he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written on him that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself 
will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Such a descriptive picture of Jesus, who's a bridegroom, who's fully and totally in control of the entire army of heaven. See, the Old Testament really is the New Testament. And the New Testament really actually says everything that the, the Old Testament says. And the story that is here is Jesus shows up on the eve of this battle as Jericho is getting ready to fall. And Joshua has been waiting for year after year after year. And Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. And Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army shows up to Joshua. Can you imagine this day when around two million people are camped and he wakes up and he's like, this is, I've been waiting for this moment for 40 years. I've walked in that stupid desert. And I, all that time, the, all this land was over here and it was ours. We owned it. It was our land and we've been eating manna. I'm so sick of manna. Thank you, God, for the manna. But I'm so sick of manna. And I'm ready to like have like, like that stuff that I, I spied, those grapes that I saw, the fruit of the land that I saw, all of that stuff. And he's waiting to do it. And then he sees a guy with a sword drawn a moment before a battle, and it's not one of his guys. And he walks up, and he's just like, what do you think you're doing? I'm the commander of this army. Like, Moses has finally passed. Joshua's been waiting. He's been the assistant for so long, and Moses is going to do it. And Joshua's like, I'm getting these people, and we are getting this job done. I am not walking in a desert anymore. This time, we're doing it right. I mean, 40 years to think about a plan. That's a long time to like dream about it and wait for it and anticipate it. And then there's some guy down here with a sword drawn, like no one is screwing this up this time. You put the sword away. Joshua had to get an understanding of who was actually in charge. And Jesus shows up and he's not mean about it, but he just says, I understand that you're the general of this army, Joshua. I'm the general of another army, and you can't see them because they, they're spiritual. And matter of fact, where you're standing is holy. Take off your shoes. And immediately Joshua comes to understand that while he's in charge of some things, there's someone else who's in charge of a whole lot more. And Joshua the warrior, if I could talk to you about jo this, this one message this week is Joshua the warrior. He was so many things, Joshua the spy. Joshua the warrior, you are a warrior in life. Some of you really identify, identify with that because you feel like you've been fighting all week. And when we talk about Joshua's a book of conflict and conquest and about possessing something, that sums up our lives. We, we have conflict and we try to get conquest and we're trying to possess stuff. And you feel like a warrior. You do not have a sword by your side, but you've done nothing but fight battles all week. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you fought battles this morning. Maybe there's a battle waiting for you on your phone. If you were just to look at it right now, it's just like, I'm waiting on you. There's a battle, like, just any time. He's almost done. Here we go. You understand what it's like to be a warrior? And Jesus shows up to Joshua, but this is really for you. And he says, hey, I know that you're in charge of some things, but I'm in charge of all things. 
And if you would just worship me, I'm going to help you be a better warrior. This attitude adjustment really goes with what God says in the New Testament. I gave a, a, a little sneak peek last week that Joshua, if it's got a cousin or a, a sister book in the New Testament, the sister book to Joshua in the New Testament is the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a book of conflict and conquest and possessing a better life. That God's got a version for you of a better life. And you own the rights to it, but maybe you are not possessing it. And you're in a battle for it. And you're a warrior, but maybe you don't fully possess it. Knowing what you know now, can we have this unveiling party of Joshua chapter 5 with Ephesians chapter 6? Here's what Paul writes to a church in Ephesus, and he really writes it to your heart today. In verse 10 he says this, finally, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not fight or wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There's one key phrase in there that might be what you need to hear in the season of life that you're in. You do not fight a physical battle, but you fight a spiritual battle. There's an invitation that Joshua gets uh, that you get to experience in a better and more real way. See, Joshua goes into the city that day and, and he fights. And if you read the account in chapter 6, and I hope your appetite is wet enough, you go back and do that later. We're going to close here. But I hope you're like, I want to I read You go and read it, and there is a miracle that happens. Walls come tumbling down. But you don't, you don't see anything like this special angel or a, a, an elite force of angels or some special spiritual weapon battering ram. You don't get any of that. You don't see anything. All you find out is that they go in and do battle. It's like four verses long, and it's over. And you're like, well, Jesus had a sword. And Jesus had an army, and Jesus was like fighting some stuff because he's got the army there, right? So what, 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 are they, what are they fighting? Because when I look at Joshua chapter 5 and 6, I only see Joshua and the Israelites fighting. I don't see Jesus fighting. Maybe you feel like you've been fighting some battles alone. Can I tell you that the commander of the Lord's army has a sword, and he does battle for you in places where you cannot see it? Man. And what's so, what's so much better about your situation than Joshua's situation is this. The Spirit of the living God comes and lives inside of you and fights alongside of you and with you. And what you can do, here's the point of the whole sermon. This is your time to elevate your fighting. This is your time to elevate your fighting. And what is said here in Ephesians chapter 6 is a big problem. Here's a problem I have. You have this problem. Maybe 
you're in a place where you're fighting some physical battles and you need to quit. That means if you are fighting anything made of flesh and blood, you got to stop. You got to elevate your fight. God is calling you to take your fight from physical to spiritual. If you're fighting a person over something, stop it. Well, you don't understand how bad they are, how mean they are. Yeah, I do. I, I do. Well, you don't understand what's been done to me. Jesus, Jesus does. Jesus does. He came and fought the physical battle of all physical battles, so you do not have to. That doesn't mean that you, you, don't, you don't have conflict and conquest. Just stop doing conflict and conflict, conquest physically and start doing it spiritually. I want to close by reading a section of Scripture that is going to sound now very different to you. When you hold Joshua chapter 5 and an encounter that he has with Jesus and you think through the, the layers and complexities of the counter, in that encounter and then you hear what Paul says, stop fighting physical battles. They're all up here now. Listen to this moment in Joshua chapter 3, before the battle. This is that, that like rah-rah speech, right? This is that moment, you know, like the, the hero's like, come on guys, we can do it. Listen to what he says. Verse 9. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you all of the ites. I can read it. You're like, you're like, no, you can't. I can't, I can, I can. But you know what I was thinking as I was doing it this week? I'm like, you know what would register a whole lot more for us? Other words. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that you will certainly drive out before you jealousy, pride, greed, strife, slander, bitterness, contempt. Man, we got to elevate our fight. And there is conflict and conquest that desperately needs to be done. But it's not fighting the people we've been fighting. It's not fighting physical battles we've been fighting. It's saying that God is certainly going to do it. See then, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the earth will go into the Jordan of heaven. Choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, each one from tribe, or tribe, each one from a tribe. And as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Here's what God does. He no longer inhabits the Ark of the Covenant. He, he inhabits you. You are the house of miracles we sang about. You are the house of worship we sang about. And as you step foot into the Jordan, the Jordan is not the promised land. The Jordan's like, is he talking about us dying? I'm talking about tomorrow morning at work. I'm talking about the problems that you have in your life that you've been fighting with physical nests. When you step foot into that battle place, God is going to clear up those waters because His Spirit's in you. And you're going to start to have conquest 
conflict and conquest in areas of your life where you did not have it before because this will prove something. We just read it. This will prove that our God is real. When you start to have conflict and conquest, this is your time for that, you will prove to people around you that he's real, that Jesus rose from the dead, that the power of the spirit that is in you helps you be a warrior, not a warrior fighting him or her, not a warrior getting on Facebook and telling them how it really is, not giving them a piece of your mind, giving them love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, Jesus, would you lead us to the Jordan, the place that you're calling us to, the promised land, the life that we could have, and could we step into that life as warriors, no longer fighting flesh, but instead elevating our fight. We fight alongside of you with heavenly spiritual angels and we don't know what's going on and you don't have to tell us everything that's going on but we're assured of it and we know it because we see conquest in our lives may people see conquest in those who call you Jesus may we have spiritual power to overcome the bondages of sin and could we stand with our lives laid out before everyone and would people around say their God is real because I've seen them change This is our time to do it, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Would you stand and can we just sing for a moment? Can we sing these words and just let them fall over our lives as we kind of just reflect on this moment? Would you lift your voice? Come on, brother, lead us. So I'll throw up my hands and praise you again and again Because all that I have is a heart So it's all, all we have in this encounter is what Joshua had. We're just going to worship you, but we're going to leave transformed. And we don't have to fight a physical battle like Joshua. Some of us would rather fight a physical battle this week than the one you're calling us to, though. But you go with us. Help us elevate our fight from the physical to the spiritual and equip us in every good way, Lord Jesus. It's in your name. We go out this week to possess the life that you've called us to. Call us to conflict and deliver spiritual conquest in our lives. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.
Hey, we love you. God bless. Have a great week, friends.